Good afternoon and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dider, and today I'm at the Australian National University in Canberra, and I'm really excited to be interviewing Dr. Chatu Yapa, who is doing a PhD here at the Research School of Population Health at ANU. Um, She started out trained as a medical doctor and she worked in Australia and New Zealand. And after that, she went to work for um, MSF, Medicines on Frontiers, um, from 2012. And she's worked across the world in South Sudan, Iraq, the Philippines, um, Liberia, and more recently, Lebanon and Nigeria. She did the Master of Applied Epidemiology here at ANU in 2015, and her placement was with the New South Wales. For those who don't know, it's a um, work placement program, and her placement was with New South Wales Health Protection. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us, Chatu. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. It's a, a real honour. <laughs> That's so nice of you to say. So maybe you could start by just explaining to us, um, you trained as a medical doctor, what then got you interested in public health um, as opposed to primary health? Yeah, sure. Um, So I I don't think public health is something that I ever really saw myself um, specialising in um, as a a medical graduate, say, out of New Zealand. I think I first really thought about it seriously um, after working for MSF in South Sudan. Um, on my first mission in South Sudan, we, um, I, was, I was in charge of a 90-bed hospital, which kind of saw all kinds of diseases and some that I've never really even heard of, you know, and, and others that I'd only ever read of in textbooks when I was a medical student. Um, but one of the biggest problems um, in this particular area in South Sudan was malnutrition. Um, and we had an inpatient therapeutic feeding centre for uh, malnourished kids in South Sudan, in, in this particular area of South Sudan. And, what we had were kids coming in, you know, who were severely malnourished. We'd put them on this plump peanut therapeutic um, paste, peanut paste, and they would, you know, fatten up, and you know, all their kind of uh, infectious diseases would be cured, and they'd, they'd be healthy, you know, in, in about two to three months, and they'd go home. But um, over the course of six months, I would see kids coming in time and time again, and really, you know, after seeing the same child come in, you know, go home healthy, and then come back malnourished one or two months later you just kind of think to yourself you know this this isn't going to change for this child unless something happens at a systems level you know in a country like South Sudan where there are almost no health systems in place it's it's a long road to kind of changing things at a systems level but I think that was kind of my first insight into into how things need to change um, at a systems level to really have an effect on, on individuals. And so you came back and did the MAE? Um, no, and then... Oh, so, it's okay. so, <laughs> Yeah, so after South Sudan, I, I took six months off just to think what the hell was, was that, you know, trying yeah. to put things in perspective, and I thought fair. I needed another um, mission just to, just to see what that first mission was like, and then I went to um, Iraq and, uh, and worked at a refugee camp um, for Syrian refugees in northern Iraq, and so in northern Iraq, my, my role was as a medical team leader, um, kind of coordinating medical activities for this primary healthcare centre in the refugee camp and while I was doing that you know I'd I'd had no previous exposure to activities like surveillance or you know epidemic preparedness um, and things like this and and these were the things that we had to do Um, in this refugee camp it was built for 10,000 refugees but over the course of four months it it went up to 60,000 refugees and there was a real risk of cholera in the camp and so we had to uh, make an emergency preparedness plan um, in the case that cholera hit the camp. So, you know, I'd had, I just had no idea how to think about setting it up. And, you know, luckily, of course, you know, MSF supports you in, in thinking yeah. about this. And we had um, lots of communication with the coordination team and with the headquarters team to come up with this plan. But I think, I think thinking about, uh, again, thinking about um, 
surveillance and outbreak response, you know, kind of got me interested in public health. And, um, and, and I was talking to a colleague in MSF about doing an MPH, and then he's the one who actually recommended uh, doing the MAE program because he, he taught on it as a guest lecturer a, a couple of years ago, and he, you know, he said it was a fantastic program, and, and it was something that um, I should pursue. Cool. Yeah. And what first you got, got you interested in wanting to do work for MSF? Um, obviously, it's hugely rewarding, but it must also come with a lot of challenges. What was your drive to sort of get involved in that kind of work? Yeah, um, I've wanted to be a doctor in Africa since I was nine years old. That was that was my dream. That you know, if if you, um, it was for me. It's like going to the moon or something. You know, this, yeah. this is um, I'm living my dream, um, and I can say that with a hand on my heart. You know, this is what I've always wanted to do. What really? So when I was nine, I, and I say that very specifically because when I was nine, um, the Rwandan crisis happened. Um, where over a million. Rwandans uh, were killed and, and there was a mass exodus of refugees um, and I remember watching that on TV I lived and grew up in Samoa at the time and I remember seeing this happening on TV and um, with the you know with millions of refugees being driven out of the country I think yeah something about that struck and um, I've always just wanted to be a doctor working in Africa and then as soon as I, as when I heard about NSF and the work that they do to reach the most vulnerable populations and to reach, you know, to do things that no one else does and to, to go to these hard to reach areas, I knew that's what I wanted to do as well. Oh, that's so great. It's so nice to meet someone who's actually living their dream. I think not many people get to do that. I, I'm very lucky, very lucky. And what are some of the challenges? I know there's probably, you know, too many to mention, but some of the biggest challenges when you're working somewhere in like a resource poor <laughs> setting or somewhere that's, you know, affected by conflict. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. <laughs> there are many challenges um, in, in these settings, but I, I think for me, the, the hardest uh, mission was still my very first mission, where um, you know, as a medical doctor in South Sudan, um, and probably you know, like you're completely as a, as a doctor, you're completely out of your depth. In no matter how experienced you are, you, it, it's the medicine that you practice and you and the diseases that you come across in, in these remote parts of Africa are unlike anything that you will come across. In you know the practice that you do in Australia or New Zealand, but I think even more than that, that the, the biggest challenge I think is how cheap life is, is how what we would absolutely not consider acceptable in any other part of the world still happens in so many parts of the world. You know, in so many parts of Africa and the Middle East and, and in, in Asia, and it's just this. I think it's 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 the difference in the way we treat life. You know, um, is really hard to get used to, especially when you see. It happened to kids. Um, yeah. uh, children are so vulnerable, you know, in these kinds of settings, and and they've just been brought into it out of pure bad luck. So I think it's kind of those moral or ethical issues that come up when when you're exposed to these kinds of situations. How does that affect like your life and your work when you're back in Australia? Yeah. Does it change who you are? It absolutely changes who you are. Yeah. Um, I I think over time you get used to it. I, I mean, you you adjust to it because you have to, otherwise you'd go insane it yeah I, th- I think I really struggled when I came back initially from my first and, and second missions um, just the sheer contrast and mm. living conditions and, and, and lifestyle and the opportunities that we have here um, you know compared to what, what life is like still just for people who are not very far away so it, does, it changes your perspective a lot and for me you know I know that's what that's the work that I will always continue to do so I guess for me I the way I think about it is, you know, I come back to Australia to freshen up my skills, to, to get more experience and to 
get more expertise in, in this kind of work so that I can go back and, and do it all over again. And how is that going, that skill building? How did you find the Master of Applied Epidemiology and working at Health Protection? <laughs> yeah, I found the um, BMA program excellent. I, th- I think it's a really good training program for people who want some solid skills in public health um, and epidemiology and, you know, working in, in, in a health department, which, which is where I was, um, with some fantastic mentors. Dr. Jeremy McAnulty was um, who I worked with and it was just, it was just fantastic, I think, to, to, to see how it should be done, you know, to see how public health and health systems should be done in a highly developed, highly resourced setting, so that even if we can't do exactly those kinds of things in, in, in lower resource settings, at least we know what the gold standard is, and yeah. then we can apply those lessons learned to, to less resource settings. You know, we're not we're not comp- we're compromising based on on a decision, and we're not going. You know, we're trying to aim for the best, but if we can't do it, it's because of, of various reasons. But, but you know what the aim is. But you know what the aim is. Exactly. And what kind of projects did you work on while you were there? Ah, oh, um, I got to do some really interesting things. Um, I think one of my favourite projects that I got to do was to establish a register for acute rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease. And that was something that um, took me over the course of two years to do. But it ended up being that we um, made acute rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease for people under 35 years um, a notifiable condition in New South Wales. Oh, wow. So did you, have, did you have to go through the whole legislation process and learn how to make it notifiable? Yeah, actually the majority, the, you know, the, the legislature and changing the Public Health Act was, was one of the easier bits of it. <laughs> yeah, all the lead up, the, the lead up and like pushing the case forward was probably the, the majority of the work. Um, and that was, it was, fascin- it was a fascinating process. You know, I, I it certainly being a part of this was was an example of that policy window that people talk about, of being at the right place at the right time mm. to, to push for something to happen. So now you're doing a PhD, yeah. what's your PhD topic on? Um, so my PhD topic is on primary healthcare service delivery in humanitarian emergencies. So it's, it's a very broad topic, but I've kept it necessarily broad. And I'm looking at how we can um, better implement um, health services at the primary healthcare level in humanitarian emergencies. So, should I? Should I yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So, so it's about at the moment when when um, health services are delivered in, in, in emergency settings. You know, it's very just uncoordinated. It's it's things get done by various agencies in, in different ways. There's no kind of systematic approach to how um, services are set up, and Interestingly, I think a lot of people would, would say that um, you know primary healthcare primary healthcare kind of gets glossed over and, and isn't really thought of as a as as an important part of the emergency response. You know, I think people jump straight to the field hospitals or like the kind of sexier you know services like you know trauma trauma surgery or yeah. yeah building building hospitals. In fact, you know, for an organisation like MSF, the majority of the care that we provide is at the primary healthcare level. So every year um, we see between seven to nine million people in the outpatient clinic setting, compared to you know about five hundred thousand inpatient um, admissions. So the majority of the work that we do is at the primary healthcare level. So I'm kind of interested in looking at how we can think about it in a, in a more systematic way. And I have prepped for this soon. I'm going to ask about it. Okay. But having worked in you know really challenging different um, situations in life, how are you now finding a PhD? <laughs> <laughs> Um, a PhD is it's a really different pace of life. It is, I think, it's something that 
you have to. I, I, well, let's put it this way. I think if had I known what a PhD involved, I probably wouldn't have signed okay. up to one when I first started. How far through were you? Um, I'm at the start of my third year. Okay. Yeah. So pretty far through. Yeah, pretty far through. Yeah. So too late now to <laughs> to back away. Um, I mean, you know, it's fantastic. I think one of the things that I've enjoyed about it is the um, the the ability to sit back and reflect on on how we do things and why we do things the way we do. You know, and that's been fantastic. But I guess there's still a lot of energy and and um, driving me to be on the field, and I find it really hard to not be on the field um, and to contribute in a, in a very, I guess, reactive way. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you think this is really going to, is the reason you went into a PhD, because you could be an epidemiologist with that one, was it because it would <coughs> add to your skill base when you went back out into the field? Yeah. Um, actually, the reason why I wanted to do a PhD is to add to the evidence base in what we oh, do. You know, a good reason. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, but I, I, I do, I think I... When you're on the, you know, you're on the field and, and you see decisions being made, it's sometimes decisions are made because of personal opinion or it's, you know, people say this is what we've always done. So I think I, I guess I thought well with the MAE and the, and the skills that I learned in the MAE, I wanted to hone in on some of those skills, but more I wanted to you know expand on them and 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 develop on those skills that I already had. But then also then to have the opportunity to contribute to the humanitarian um, health space, I think was something that I thought would be like combining the two things that I uh, was really interested in. Yeah. yeah. I think having a really good reason to do a PhD, that's what I always tell people, because you're going to want to quit. <laughs> like, I think it's pretty normal. Um, but if you do have that really strong reason for wanting to do it, then mm. it can sometimes help you to remember that. I don't know if that's helpful. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. It is. I mean, I, I know I can imagine myself in, in five or ten years' time thinking, "Oh, that was a fantastic exercise to go through," but in the in it, <laughs> in the, when you're in it, in the here and now, it's uh, it's not so fun. <laughs> and so I'm just trying to think. Oh, I've got a few questions. I'm trying to think what would be the best one to ask next. In terms of if someone was thinking about doing work with an organisation like MSF, what mm. sort of things would you recommend, like that they consider? So yeah, yeah. yeah. what would you recommend for someone who wanted to work for MSF as an epidemiologist or in public health? Either, let's go both. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so MSF, I guess, contrary to popular um, opinion, I think MSF, you know, to take a variety of, um, of people, not just health professionals, you know, so the administrators and the logisticians are a huge, uh, huge workforce in MSF. In public health, I guess there are, there are fewer options. Um, so if you come from a health services background, so you're a clinician um, or a nurse or a midwife then you can do clinical work and that's often the, the way that medical people get into NSF mm-hmm. you can go as an epidemiologist and that is that uh, yeah you can definitely go as an epidemiologist and uh, so they would require some experience um, working as a public health practitioner um, preferably in kind of uh, more remote settings so a lot of people in NSF have, have done some kind of work in Northern Territory or in Final Queensland or, you know, just some exposure to kind of remote or rural work. Because yeah. I think that kind of experience really helps put you out of your comfort zone and help you um, kind of deal with the lack of resources and the isolation a little bit better than uh, maybe working in big city hospitals. Um, I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest assets to working in MSF is communication and teamwork, you know, in that age, you know, it's, it's said everywhere, but... Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's who you work with and, and how you work together as a team that helps you get things done. So 
being a team player, being a being in positions of management, no matter how young you are, you know, just expose yourself to different situations that put put you out of your comfort zone that help you work better with people. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, and do you have any sort of advice or things that you've learned that have been helpful for sort of people coming into public health or in this space? I know sometimes it can be a bit confusing because it seems like there's a lot of options and not enough and it can be a bit confusing about what's the next right thing to do so any kind of advice for new people coming to the field to help navigate this world that is public health (laughs) (laughs) that's a great question i mean i'm still a very uh, junior member of this public health world so maybe i'm not the best person to give advice on this i you know it's going to sound really cheesy but i I think you really have to follow your passion and, and follow what feels right in your gut. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in gut. <laughs> I don't think that's cheesy. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you have to do what interests you and, and, and what... There are so many ways that public health take you, can take you and it's fantastic that, you know, it's such a varied discipline, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's, it's, I love that about public health that you can be learning about, you know, primary health care in complex emergencies. One minute and I just came um, from a workshop on, on health, public health interventions and how you classify them about obesity or climate change or you know there's so many issues to work on so so choose your focus area and um, and and then find people who are interested um, as well in that area and work with them you know it's I think one of the best things you can do for your career is to find your tribe and, and find people who think like you because then it just you know makes makes life easy and, and fun and and you feel like you're not alone yeah I think that's excellent advice yeah. <laughs> Uh, and just finally, um, do you have a favourite book or anything you've read or seen that um, has really inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world? Mm. I was thinking about this. I was looking at your list of questions <laughs> I think the, um, the book The Alchemist was... That's mine! Is it really? Yes. I love that book. It's a, it's a fantastic book because um, I think it's about you know pushing the boundaries and not settling for the status quo, not settling for what is possible, but, but thinking about the impossible you know and doing it anyway and I love also that he really talks about you know being grateful for what you already have yes. and you know when he's walking along and he's carrying his jacket and he's getting annoyed because it's heavy and then he remembers that it keeps him warm yeah so <laughs> many good messages in that so book so many good messages <laughs> absolutely yeah well I will highly I will double give that book a plug because that's <laughs> definitely my favourite book of all time uh, well thank you so much for joining us it's been really lovely I really appreciate your time and thank you everyone for listening to Stories in Public Health Thank you.